I love, love that song, Come People of the Risen King. And thank you again, Andrew and Abby, for, for recording a new song for us and, and wonderful to sing that together. Again, you are welcome this morning. If you're tuning in, in in Facebook or YouTube, you are more than welcome. We have a few tuning in on both. And so thank you for coming into the service. <laughs> this morning, we are going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about marriage. And whenever you talk about marriage, you know that it is going to be interesting because the reality with marriage is this. There, there are kind of two sides to marriage. On the, on the one side, there is this absolute beauty to marriage. Marriage is absolutely beautiful. It has been created by God for people to be enjoyed, and it is absolutely beautiful. Now, we do want to say, we do want to say as Christians that, that marriage isn't the ultimate beauty. Sometimes Christians can portray that marriage is the ultimate beauty, but we know that it is not the ultimate beauty on this world because because we know that two of the greatest people that have made the greatest impact on this planet were in fact not married at all. Jesus and Paul. They are two of the people who made the greatest impact in this world and yet they were not married at all. So there is never a sense that they were any less of a human being just because they weren't married, that they didn't experience all the fullness of what there could be to experience as a human being just because they were not married. So we know that, that, that marriage isn't the ultimate beauty. It's not like you're missing out on something completely if you are not married. It's not the ultimate beauty. But what we do recognize in the Bible is this. It is absolutely beautiful. Marriage is absolutely beautiful when, when God brings together a man and a woman to unite and, and covenant with one another and say to one another, till death do us part. That is a beautiful, glorious scene that we see on a wedding day. They're committing to one another, giving their lives over to one another, saying I do to one another, standing beside one another until death do us part. What a beautiful picture this is. And Ephesians 5 tells us of this absolute beauty because in marriage it reflects the glory of the gospel. In Ephesians 5 we are, we are told that, that the husband, um, the husband is, is a, to be a picture of Christ giving up his life sacrificially, loving his wife and, 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 and the wife is to be a, a picture of the church respecting her husband. And you've got this glorious, beautiful picture in marriage. But then there is this other side, isn't there? Because for anybody who's been married for, for even a second on this world, you will know that while marriage is absolutely beautiful, and it is, marriage can be complicated. We know that marriage can be complicated. And you say, well, Shane, why, why, how, how can it be complicated? Why would you say that my marriage would be complicated? Well, I would say it this way. It is complicated because you are in it. You are part of it. That is why it is complicated. And whenever you bring two people together, even if they love each other loads, and even if they've been together a long time, when you bring two people together, two sinners together, you will realize things can get complicated very quickly. 
because those two people will have a, a different view on, on, on how you spend money, a different view on how you spend your leisure time. Uh, they will have different dreams. And when you bring two people together with different dreams, that can complicate things, that can complicate the relationship. And anybody who's been married for a second knows those two realities. Yes, marriage is absolutely beautiful, but yes, it, it can be, it can be complicated. And what Peter is doing this morning is he is speaking into complicated relationships. Yes, relationships that can be beautiful and good, but also relationships that can get complicated. And here's why. He's talking to a church in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he's he's speaking to them, and it it, they, it seems like they've they've turned to Christ and they've trusted in Jesus, put their faith and their hope in Jesus, and now they need to know well how are all the relationships going to work in my life? Because what the moment you believe in Jesus is the moment all the relationships in your life they change. And so what, what Peter has been walking us through the last few Sundays that, that we've been looking at this, he's been walking through the various relationships in life, the various key relationships in life. Because the question for, for new Christians is, how am I going to live in this life and with the relationships that I have? And so he talked about societal relationships, people in the government. How are you to live in that relationship now that you're a Christian? And then he talked about the work relationship, you know, between between um, the master and the worker or the boss and, and the employee. How, how, are you, how is that relationship now going to work that you are a Christian? How are you going to live in that? And now he's going to talk about marriage, marriage. How, how is that going to work and, and how specifically is that going to work when one is a Christian, when one trusts in Christ and the other does not? How is this going to work? And so he's speaking into that complexity and he's, and he's telling us, listen, this is how this is going to work. This is what you should do as a Christian. This is how you should live your life as a Christian in marriage. And so he's going to speak of that. And over the next two Sundays, I think it's going to be two. I, I was wrestling with it being one, but I, th I think it's going to end up being two because of, you know, um, just the reality of the of the time we have this morning. But the, what he does in these instructions is he speaks firstly to wives in that situation. And then he speaks to husbands in that situation. And so so first his instructions are given to wives and, and husbands will we'll get to you. We'll get to you next Sunday. Don't worry. But but first his instructions are to wives. Wives, how are you going to live in marriage now that you are a Christian? And I think he wants wives to remember a few things this morning, and I'm going to walk through those things. And the first thing I think he wants wives to remember is, is ultimately this. He wants wives to remember their ultimate goal in life. What is the wife's ultimate goal? Before we get to the instructions, I think it's helpful to consider what the ultimate goal of each one of those instructions is. So we're going to get to the instructions, but before we do, we need to look at what the ultimate goal is behind them. And I think you see that in verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Look at that with me. I'm going to go through section by section here this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. 
Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, not to every husband, not to every man, but your own husbands. So that, here comes the goal, even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. And that's where I want to start this morning for wives. What is the ultimate goal? Before we get to the instructions, what is the ultimate goal of those instructions? What did it say in verse 1? That he may be one. That he may be one over to Christ. That he may see the glories and the wonders of Christ through your life, wife. That's the goal. That is the ultimate goal of your life. You know, when you wake up this morning or in the mornings, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, you you think of your, your goals and your plans for the day. What is your ultimate goal? The ultimate goal in your marriage is that he might see Christ in you. That's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to win him, isn't it? And listen, this morning, this is not just true of wives. This is true of all of us, isn't it? What is the ultimate goal of every relationship that you have on this planet? What is the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is that people might be won over to Christ. That's the ultimate goal. You see, the problem with with relationships is this. We think that the ultimate goal in relationships is, is that we get pleasure from them. And the moment that we don't get pleasure from them, the moment those relationships don't give us what we want them to give us, we, we, we get rid of them. They're no good anymore. Well, no, for the Christian, the ultimate goal in every relationship that you have on this planet is that people be won over to Christ. I want them to see Jesus. I want them to see my Lord. I want them to be praising him on the last day. That is the ultimate goal. And that really is what the key verse of this whole section is saying. Let me remind you of that key verse again for this whole section of of submitting to authority and what it looks like. The key verse is chapter 2, verse 12. Let me read it to you again. It tells us of the ultimate goal. It says this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. On the final day, the goal is that we would live our lives in such a way, with such action, with such purpose, with such a goal, that ultimately they would see the good works of our lives and they would glorify God in heaven. That's the ultimate goal. And so in our societal relationships with people and the government, when we interact with the government, our ultimate goal is that people will see our good deeds and glorify God. When we interact with our, our, our co-workers and an employer, our ultimate goal is that they would see our good deeds and glorify God. And when we are in the marriage relationship, the ultimate goal is that they would see our good deeds and glorify God. Wife, that is your ultimate goal. That's your ultimate goal. 
We need to remember that before we look at any of the instructions, that's our goal. And that's the goal of every single relationship. Revelation chapter 7 speaks of the day. The day when every tribe and every tongue and every nation will stand before the throne. And they will sing together in unison, salvation belongs to our God and unto the Lamb. Don't you want every single person and every single relationship you are in, don't you want them all to join you on that day, singing that song? Don't you want your co-worker singing that song with you on that day? Don't you want your uncle and your aunts singing with you on that day, that song? Don't you want the, the shopkeeper that you meet on, on during the week, don't you want them singing that song with you? Your children, when you look at them, don't you want them on that final day singing that song with you? And wife, on that final day, don't you want your husband singing that song with you side by side? That's the ultimate goal. May we never forget that ultimate goal, wives. And so then the question becomes, well, well, how do we achieve that ultimate goal? How does the wife achieve that ultimate goal? Especially in a relationship whereby she believes in the, and the husband does not. That's what, what Peter is talking about. How is she going to achieve that ultimate goal? Well, what Peter says is something quite significant. If she is going to achieve that ultimate goal, she needs to think about two things. The first thing she needs to think about is her submission. It says this in chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject, submit, be subject to your own husbands. That's not to every man. That's not to every husband. That is to your own husband. That's the goal. For the wife who find for every wife and then also for the wife who finds herself in that situation where she's believed in Christ, but her husband does not. What she needs to do is still submit to him. And, and this is a very key um, thought back then, because back then in, in the Greco-Roman world, the wife was not allowed to have her own opinion and she was not allowed have her own religion and so she might have had this sense of of great freedom now listen i can i can kind of do whatever i want and maybe the temptation might have been to even leave the husband i don't know but what peter says is quite significant there he doesn't say leave the husband because he doesn't believe what you believe what he says is actually stay with him and submit to him now, I know, obviously, we know what that sounds like today, don't we? That sounds very archaic and, and, and very strange and very weird. And yet we realize in the scripture that is what it says and we cannot change the language. So what is he ultimately talking about? What he is ultimately talking about is this. This is a leadership issue. Who is going to lead in the home? And ultimately, what the Bible does is it sets forth the husband to be the leader in the home. 
Now that might be shocking to some, but what I, what I would say and what I've said before when we were in Colossians is this. Someone always leads. Someone always leads. Whenever there's a partnership, whenever there's a group, someone always leads. It might be the leader might be named or the leader might be not named, but someone always leads. There, there's a show right now um, uh, that, that me and my family like. Uh, it, it's a show called uh, The Amazing Race, and we don't get a, a whole lot of time to, to watch it. But, but the show uh, Amazing Race is, most of you would probably know it, whereby couples or, or teammates, they will they will team together and they will race around the world. They will fly to different places and they will have loads of different challenges that they're meant to do. And it gets really exciting. And slowly the couples, they get knocked out one by one until finally there is a winner and they win loads of money at the end. But it's so interesting when you look at the couples on that race. Sometimes they have a, a father and a daughter. Sometimes they have workmates partnering up together. But, but a lot of the times they have, they have couples and, and married couples. And, and when you see them running the race, here is what you will notice. Someone always leads. Yes, they run the race together. Yes, they are absolutely equal. But someone always leads. And whenever there's there's conflict in in that race, and there often is conflict in their race, there would be if if me and Luana were doing it. I I can tell you that. Um, when there whenever there is conflict in the in the race, the reality is someone's not leading. There's always always a leader. And I would say to you this: in your home, you can guarantee there's someone leading in your home. You might name the leader, you might say the leader, but someone is doing it in your home. Someone is. You're, you're following someone's path. You're following someone's lead. We're, we're all like sheep and we're all looking to someone to lead. And, and the reality is that happens in a family. Someone sets the tone. Someone set, sets the direction. And so it might even be that, 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 that little baby in your home that can't even move. In a crib, they might be setting the tone for your home. They might be leading. Everything might revolve around them or, or, or the, 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 the teenager in your home. Everything might revolve around them. They might be setting the tone or, 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 or the wife in your home. She might be setting the tone. Everything might be re- revolving around her. Well, well, the Bible, what the Bible does is just names who that leader should be. And it should be the husband. And this is a difficult call for someone who is married to someone else who does not believe. And so the many questions then come to the wife's mind, I'm sure, at this moment. And I'm not going to answer every question for um, submission and, and what that looks like. But the question could come, well, well, do I have to do everything he says? Is, is that what submission is, that I just do everything he says? And I would say um, absolutely not. Because we've looked through all these relationships, government and, and workplace and, and all that. And, and, and the reality is there are times where you do need to say no. Why? Because who is your ultimate authority? Your ultimate authority is God, right? The ultimate authority is God. And so if the husband, unbelieving or believing, is asking you to do something that is not in line with what God would have you do in your life, you can say no. Because ultimately what it says in verses 1 and 2 is that you are to win your husband over with your pure conduct. 
Well, that is what the wife is to have, pure conduct. So it's, it's not unquestioning obedience submission. But it is following after his leadership as would be honoring to the Lord. And so that's something that we have to deal with. And then the question might become, well, well, are you saying then that, that husbands are ultimately better than wives, that wives can't lead or are unable to lead maybe? Well, no, I don't think it's saying that because this is not a question of competence. This is not a question of ability. In fact, I would say that many, many women are very, very gifted in leadership. And many, many women are, are much better in leadership than many men. It's, it's not a question of competence. It's not a question of ability. It's not a question even of value or worth. The Bible says male and female are made in God's image. That means they are equal in both dignity, value and worth. What the Bible is doing, what God is doing, is he's separating out and distinguishing out the roles. It's not about competence. It's not about ability. It is about what your role is. And here's what the role is for the husband, leading. So how do you achieve that ultimate goal? How will you ultimately win over your husband? It is not by leaving him. It is actually by following in under his leadership. And then he asks the wife to think about a second thing. And the second thing, if this ultimate goal is going to be achieved, the second thing the wife needs to think about is her words. It says this in verse 1, look at it again. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some, even if some, so all wives are called to do this, submit and, and, and follow after the leadership. But then it says, so that even if some do not obey the word, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. This is what he, he is saying. You know, when, when people believe, when, when people trust in Jesus, they, they get all excited and you try and change people with all your words. But what he's saying here is, is you're not going to change them with your words. And often that happens in marriage, doesn't it? You know, you, you hear of people marrying someone else and, and they marry them thinking they're going to change them. I'm going to change him. I'm going to change him. I'm going to change him with my words. I'm going to change him. And, and they treat the husband as this kind of little project that's going to be changed. Listen, no one's going to change him. Only God. Only God. Your words aren't going to change him. God is going to change his heart and his soul. This is a work of God. Salvation belongs to our God. Win him without a word. May he see your actions. And this is the reality for all our relationships in the home. Often all our relationships in the home won't be one with a word. They will be one without a word. You see, the only Bible that your husband or your wife is going to see in your home might be your life. The only Bible often that your children might see in your home will be your life. Yes, they will hear your words. They're going to see your life, isn't it? 
win him without a word. And I, I wondered, I kind of chuckled to myself as I was studying this over the week. I kind of wondered, why did, why did Peter give that instruction to wives and, and why to husbands? And what's the story there in terms of not using your words? And wh- why did he give that? Because he doesn't say why he gave that. He doesn't let us know his thinking behind it. But part of me thinks, especially in that society, when a woman didn't, wasn't able to have an opinion or her own religion, Part of me thinks that the pride of man would set in. You can't tell me what to do. And men, the reality with with many of us, all of us, including me, is that we have what we call male pride. (laughs) Do you have male pride in your house? We certainly have it in ours. And here's the thing. In our marriage, there is just many, many things that Luana is just better at than I am. Many things. She is far more confident in in many things than I am. And one of those things is this. If ever there would be a flat pack that gets into our house and instructions that would come with that flat pack, even if it's something as simple as Legos, and I am given the Legos and the instructions or the flat pack and the instructions, I'm just not good at it. I'm hopeless at those types of things. Listen, you know, if if you want me to speak for an hour, grand, I'll go and do that. But if you want me to make something, I'm going to struggle with that. That is going to be difficult for me. And so so Luana's just better at that. She she sees those instructions and she sees it in her mind or whatever, and she's just better at that. And there sometimes comes a time where, where you know, I might get the flat pack and, and I, it might be my time to build it, you know. And so I get the instructions and I, and I get all this male pride within me and I'm going to build this thing myself and, and do it for the family or whatever. And, and slowly what happens is I get more and more angry. I get more and more frustrated at this silly thing that's not going together and, and the IKEA instructions that don't have any words. Like who doesn't give any words with your instructions? And so what happens is I get this frustrated and then, and then slowly I can kind of feel Luana kind of coming up behind me. You know the way you can feel your spouse sometimes? You can feel them and you know what they're saying and they're right there. And what she often does will go down, sit there, give me the next piece and hand it over. Not saying much, she'll just grab the next piece and hand it over. Grab the next piece and hand it over. Here you go, you Egypt. <laughs> she won't be saying that. She'll be saying that in her head. Grab the next piece, let it over. And then we'll finally make it. I will make the flat pack. What's she doing there? She's winning me without a word. She knows words aren't necessarily going to work in that moment. She's winning me without a word. And that is, I believe, what will happen with your husband wife. Win him without a word. Let him see Christ in you. Why? Because what's your ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is that he will be standing with me side by side for eternity. That's the ultimate goal. Not that he will just be sitting, standing with me side by side here. I want him to be standing with me side by side there. How do I achieve that? Let him see your life. Let him see Christ in you. And so that's the ultimate goal of the wife, that she would win the husband over. That is her ultimate goal. May that be all of our ultimate goals, that we would seek to win every person over in every single relationship we are in in this planet. 
but that we would do what God is calling us to do in that. So he talks about the wife's ultimate goal, and then he wants the wife to remember something else. Not just the ultimate goal, but he wants the wife to remember her true beauty. He wants the wife not only to remember the ultimate goal, but he wants the wife to remember her true beauty. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and, and the putting on of gold jewelry or, 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 or the clothing you wear. But, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which in God's sight is very precious. Sometimes in this passage, as I was walking through it, it kind of feels like I'm, I'm walking onto a minefield and there's all these mines and I'm, I'm kind of dancing between the mines and at one point I'm just going to explode. And, and so this is, this is what happens in this passage. But what is he talking about? He is talking about the wife's ultimate beauty, the wife's true beauty. That's what the wife is to think about, her, her true beauty. And so as you read this, you kind of know as, as you read this and as you've been reading the passages, there's something cultural going on here. It's like the time when we were reading about slaves before. There's something cultural going on here. You know, it talks about braided hair and you're kind of like, why does it mention that? There's, there's something cultural going on here. So, so what is it? Well, some would say, you know, the, the braiding of hair was, was related and associated with, with pagan worship. And so that's what Peter is going on about here. But I just don't think the evidence seems to be there. Not internally in Scripture and not really externally outside of Scripture. The evidence doesn't seem to necessarily be there that that's what Peter was talking about. I don't think that's what he's talking about. What I think ultimately he is talking about is, is flashiness. Your adorning being flashy, and it would have been very fancy for the braiding of hair. This was kind of a look at the time that would have been very flashy, very outward, very much seeking to get attention. That is what it was like. And listen, he's not saying to, to wives, listen, just wear your pajamas all day. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you can't, can't wear nice clothes or, or do your hair nice. That's not what he's saying. What he's talking about is the focus. What is your focus to be wise? It is not to be the external beauty. It is to be the internal beauty. And why does he say this to this type of wife in this situation? Well, again, if she has become a, a Christian, a believer, and the husband is not, remember, she wasn't allowed to have her own opinion, her own religion. So the husband could have easily sought to, to kick the wife out of the house. And so the temptation for the wife may have been in order for him not to kick me out, in order for him to keep me, here's what I need to do. I need to make my external beauty greater. In order to win him over, I need to make my external beauty greater. I'm trying to win him over, so that's how I need to win him, the external beauty. No. Wives, you are to win him over with the internal beauty of the heart. And that's what he's talking about. That is ultimately how husbands are to be one, not with external beauty, but internal beauty. That's how they're to be one. And what he's doing there is actually telling wives a secret. 
It, before marriage, it may be all about looks and external, but in marriage, it is all about internal beauty. That's how the marriage lasts, isn't it? And it's not that externals don't matter, of course. It's not saying, you know, wear your pajamas all day or, or don't wear anything nice. It's just saying it's about internal beauty. And we've realized something in this world. In this world, we are all about externals. Everybody is. Everybody is in this world. You know, I was standing in the shop the other day. And, and as you're standing in the shop just before the till, what they'll have is they'll surround you with aisles, little aisles of stuff. So all the main stuff will be in the, the back of the shop. And what they've done is they've designed the shop in such a certain way that there will be all these little, small little treats kind of either side of you, won't there? And as you look at the treats that are either side of you, they are just these bright and vibrant colors with these really um, uh, vibrant graphics on them, these really vibrant names on them, like like Galaxy or or Milky Way or or Mars Bar, and and all of it has something to do with space, you know. And you're you're kind of like, oh, this is going to really transcend me beyond Earth, right? All these beautiful colors and these beautiful names on this stuff. What is that saying to you? We are all about externals, human beings. We all think it's about the outside. You don't walk into the shop and just see gray and black packets with, with no names on them. The reason they're all those fancy different colors is because they know that we are about visual externals. That might tempt us to grab it. All of us are this way. Well, he's saying to the wife here, don't be about the externals. Don't play that game. Focus on the internal life. What does he say? At the end of it, he says this, but let your adorning be the hidden person of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Here's the goal. If you want to impress people, focus on the external only. But if you want to impress God, Focus on the internal. That is the call for all of our lives. Let us seek to impress God in all that we do. And so wives, you have your ultimate goal to win him over. And wives, you have your, your true beauty, that which is your true beauty, to win him over. But in all of this, what the wife must remember is her final hope. When you are living in a situation, and back in those days that would have been very, very difficult for the wife to have a different opinion and a different religion. When you're living in that circumstance, with a difficult circumstance, what you need to know is that there's hope beyond this. And there is. And this is why Peter points the wife to the ultimate hope. And this is what every wife should remember. Verse 5, it says this. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands. Did you hear that? How do the holy women of, of, of old live their lives in submission? They put their hope in God. 
what you're doing in following after the husband's leadership in this world, what you're doing, you're not putting your hope in that husband. Oh my goodness, you're not putting your hope in that husband. Listen, that husband is going to fail you time and time and time again. I don't want Luana to put her hope in me. I'm going to fail her time and time again. There's no hope to be found in me. But what the wife is doing in following the leadership of the husband, what's she ultimately doing? I'm hoping in God. (laughs) As I'm following his leadership, this changes the perspective on, on submission absolutely and totally. What you're actually doing is, is hoping in God. God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you that you are going to lead this fella. I'm not trusting him ultimately. I'm, I'm trusting you ultimately. You're my hope. I'm placing my hope in you, God. And you, God, have asked me to do this. So, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow after the leadership of this man. And I'm going to hope and trust in you. Because that is what the holy women of old did. They were set apart. Hoping in God. And following the leadership of the husband. And lastly, in order to give us a picture of all of this, what Peter does is he gives us an illustration of a woman who hoped in God and who followed the leadership of her husband. And that woman is Sarah. Verse 6, it says this. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You submit and follow the leadership of your husband as Sarah did with Abraham. Now, now I look at this verse again and you, and you look at it and you say, well, how is calling him Lord going to go down in this earth? Not, not so well. OK, so so, yeah, there, there is something contextual going on, but really, really. What is being called here is the following after the husband's leadership. And you kind of think, well, obeying, like, what's that? That obedience is not the same picture as a child obeying a parent or a a worker obeying a a boss. That's not really the picture here. And here's why I know when you look at obedience in the life of Abraham and Sarah, I mean, talk about a complicated marriage. If you want to see a complicated marriage, that's Abraham and Sarah to a T. Their marriage was messed up. It was complicated. They needed the grace of God like all of us do. And so as you trace obedience in their life, you kind of wonder, well, who obeyed who? So Genesis 16, Genesis 16, it talks about Sarah. She gets fed up with this idea of them not being able to have a child. And so what Sarah does is she gets her servant, Hagar. She comes to Abraham. She says, Abraham, look, God is preventing us from having a child. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to sleep with my servant and you're going to have a baby with my servant. And then we're going to have a child. And that's how it's going to work. Do you know what Abraham did? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea. What was Abraham doing in that moment? Abraham was obeying Sarah. And then people trace this obedience and wonder, oh, is it the obedience that that Abraham was saying to Sarah? You know, in in chapter 12 of Genesis and chapter 20 of Genesis, there are these two occasions where Abraham asked Sarah to lie about who she is. Lie and tell them that you are not my wife, that you are my sister. 
twice. And she does it twice. And so people think that maybe this is the obedience that's being talked about, that she just, you know, unquestionably obeys and, and, and that's it. Well, I actually don't think it's, it's either of this picture of obedience. What Peter is referring to here, very specifically, Peter is referring back to Genesis chapter 18. Peter is referring back to Genesis chapter 18. And in Genesis chapter 18, verse 12, it, it talks in relation to this event where, whereby Sarah overhears that she is going to have a son by Abraham. And, and you'd forgive her that she's going to laugh in this occasion because she's got kind of to thinking, well, I'm 90 and he's 100 years old. How are we going to have a son in this occasion? And then it reads in, in Genesis 18, verse 12, it reads this. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, she laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? So she hears that she's going to have a baby at 90 and her husband is 100 years old. And she says to herself, well, are we really going to have a baby when we're this age? When my master is this age? So she laughs at this situation. But what does she do? She addresses Abraham with respect. She doesn't just laugh him off and say, oh, he's an old fogey. No, she addresses him with love. And respect in the moment of this promise, even when she doubts it. And that's the picture of this obedience here. It is respectful following of the leadership of her husband, even in a moment where none of this seems to make sense. I'm still going to respect him. I'm still going to respect him. I'm still going to follow after his leadership, even if none of this makes sense. So, so wives, ultimately, what are you called to do? Remember, your ultimate goal is to win him over. Remember that your true beauty isn't outside of you. It is within you. And remember that your final hope, it's not him. It's the Lord. And so you follow his leadership, knowing the Lord's my hope here. God, I'm trusting in you. We're walking off a cliff with him. I don't know if I can trust this fella, but my hope is in you. That's what we're doing. And as you do that, you know, that can be scary. That can be frightening to do that and scary. But here's what it says at the end of verse 6. Do not fear anything that is frightening, wife. Oh, I love that verse. <laughs> Don't fear anything that is frightening, wife. I mean, he's frightening. I know he is. Your husband? Absolutely. The decisions he's making? Absolutely. The decisions he's not making? Absolutely. As you project your life in the future, you know, you know, you might have this idea, you might be mapping out things in the future, and you might think, listen, this guy's not thinking about any of this. He's just thinking about the now. But as I look in the future, I don't see what he's doing. What's he doing here? Like, what is this guy doing here? And it's frightening, and it's weird, and it's hard to figure all that out. Here's what the passage says. Don't be frightened about anything. Put your hope in him. Your hope is in God. 
as you follow after his leadership. Oh Lord, help us follow after him in these complicated and beautiful relationships. Lord, help us. And husbands, next week, I'm coming after you and me. And we're going to hear from what God has to say to us. So let's sing and praise the Lord. Let's take this time for reflection. If you want, maybe there's extra verses you want, you want to point out and, and show us this morning as we, as we reflect. And let us sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And as we sing that, Remember, that's what we want people to see in us. We want people to see Christ in us and sing with us on that final day. So let us sing together, yet not I.